The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like when the gossip is too hot, porn shame, and carrying our heavy truths. Mm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health practitioners of any kind. Mm. We're not accredited, trained Nobody gave us a stamp Barely of approval. Experienced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we just bought ourselves some microphones and we're like, let's do this thing. Yes. Yeah. Sam and I are not professionals. We are not trained in this. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love and life. We really talk a lot about life now, too. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah, I love that. Just changing up the script four <laughs> years in. <laughs> Listen, we get to do what we want. That's what that's what that whole Surgeon General's warning is yeah. about. <laughs> is that we're chaotic. Um, yes, absolutely. All right. 
So for this week's check-in topic, we are like, we are panning into the life portion of our advice. Um, this is actually inspired by a piece of advice I found online, um, but I wanted to check in about feeling overwhelmed um, and how to move through feelings of um, feelings of anxiety and shame when we feel like we have like so much to do that we can't get to or because we're so overwhelmed with other things that we can't focus on the things we want. Um, I'm thinking specifically in my life about like having a really, you know, having a bunch of chores to do, like having a messy house and laundry to put away and dishes to be done. And I'm also supposed to meal plan, go for a walk and like meditate and like deal with my childhood trauma. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. it can feel like impossible to do head and heart work sometimes or to prioritize the type of positive thinking that I want to do when I feel like I'm also drowning in menial everyday tasks or whatnot. Is that something that you relate to? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Deeply, deeply relate. (laughs) (laughs) How does that manifest in your life? Um, It manifests for me in a lot of, um, I sort of think of it as like fracturing where I'm like doing seven things at the same time and I'm doing none of them to completion. <laughs> yeah, slash or effectively. Well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's relatable. like, I, I'm like, okay, I've got my to-do list and it's like, I need to fold the laundry and I need to yeah. like clean dust everything. And I need to clean the bathroom and I need to uh, figure out the travel for the wedding that we have to go to and like all of these things. And so what'll happen is that, I'll do each of them at at the same time. And so like I will like fold half the laundry and then like get really distracted right. by it because I went to the bathroom and the bathroom was dirty and then I'll start cleaning the bathroom and then I'll be like, ah, I don't know what to do next. And then I'll like start, <laughs> start dusting. Um, and then suddenly I'm staring at my phone, looking at like prices on, on kayak or whatever. And totally. it's just like, and then none of it gets done. And then it's all just messier because it's just like my house is now full of like half done projects. <laughs> so the laundry is like, like that's out. a metaphor for like our emotional issues too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that they manifest themselves in similar yes. ways. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. Um, and I think I also want to bring into the equation, like, folks who have the inclination to feel shame about those things, you know, cause it's not just like the added anxiety of like, Oh, I got this huge to-do list. It's what is this unfinished to-do list say about me as a person? And that, that almost, that almost makes it even harder. It makes these tasks bigger and weightier and gives them, gives them a place in your heart and your head uh, that's much more domineering and defining than it is in reality. Like if you have dirty dishes in your sink, which is like my go-to image, that doesn't mean (laughs) you're like a bad person or a failing person or an undeserving person. And I think so often we conflate our to-do list or our feelings of overwhelming, of being overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with our sense of capability, our capabilities, like because I am overwhelmed and I have a big to-do list and they're all stupid little tasks that I've been procrastinating, I therefore am incapable and, and, and this is an equation of my abilities or, or excuse me, this is the, this is the, the product of my abilities. I can't do anything, you know, it's so right. much, 
it is it contributes so much to our narrative about ourselves. So um, the the what really prompted me to bring this to the podcast is a tip that I found online that I've been applying in my own life. Um, it was by like a online creator, Instagram folk person called Sarah Nicole Landry. Her um, her handle is at the birds papaya. Um, she writes a lot about like, I found her um, because she writes and posts a lot about like postpartum bodies and changing and parenthood and like uh, also being like a digital creator. And um, recently she posted a reel about when you feel overwhelmed by your, by a bunch of small tasks. Her tip is to time yourself doing one of the tasks. Um, And the example she gave was like, emptying the dishwasher when we feel like we have a million tasks that are bogging us down that are keeping us from not just doing what we want to do or relaxing but are keeping us from feeling capable and feeling good about ourselves Mm. it's empowering to like actually use a timer set a timer and see a how long things take and set a designated time to do them Because if you realize that emptying the dishwasher actually takes two and a half minutes, you know, barely, (laughs) then all of a sudden it's, it's brought into reality and outside of the, and, and outside of the big anxiety that makes it feel so controlling and imposing on your life. You know, Mm. I have laundry upstairs that I haven't put away in like weeks I want to say multiple weeks <laughs> you know and I, I keep looking at it and thinking like oh god I just got to put that away but it'll take so long or oh uh, 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 and that it just adds to my stress and we know that those little tasks that have nothing to do with our mental health are directly connected to our mental health often you know mm. and the stories and the lies that we t- tell about ourselves so you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today and they were expressing that they felt like they had lots to do in their house and they couldn't keep up. And I said, you know what? Like, first of all, a clean space doesn't mean that you're a good person, but set sure. an hour timer, clean your house for an hour and then take the rest of the day off if you can, you know, mm-hmm. like, like it doesn't have to be an all day thing. Um and you'll be amazed at what you can get done in an hour and how good you feel. And then give yourself permission to rest. Give yourself permission to play, to be engaged in something else other than like feeling bad about how little you do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. This has just been take this or leave this. Uh, this has just been like something that's been helpful for me in, in especially with a newborn, but also like everyday fucking life, like laundry. Um, and, and, it's helped me like reposition it in my mind as something that I can fit into my day in a way that doesn't feel so exhausting and harmful to my sense of self. Sure. No, I love that. I think um, the ways that I handle those instances where I'm like feeling super overwhelmed is um, that I always tell myself do one thing at a time um, and actually have that like written on a post-it note on my computer um, as a reminder to say like, 
just do one thing, right? Like yeah. that's actually going to be more helpful to you than trying to do seven things at the same time. Um, and the other thing that I say to myself often is move with intention, <laughs> uh, which is about like, if I do the thing with intention, it's going to go much faster. And then I'm going to like be able to, to relax more. Wow, I love that. Uh, more intentionally afterwards as opposed to doing what I often do which is like I'm cleaning the bathroom and then I'm like staring at my phone for like 10 minutes and then I'm like wow cleaning the bathroom takes 45 minutes and like it doesn't if I would just move with more intention (laughs) yes so when I catch myself doing stuff like that I'm like okay remember do one thing and move with intention and then after that then you can devote actual time to rest as opposed to trying to find rest in places where it's not actually restful because I'm still stressed about the job that I haven't done yeah. yet yes, <laughs> that I'm like totally. in literally the middle of. Yes. And um, I appreciate this conversation and want to just add to it too. Like, I don't think that these are things that we have to do or conquer in order to feel good about ourselves. Like, no. I think that we can feel good about ourselves and change the narrative about ourselves when our house is filthy, when our bed isn't made and when the bathroom isn't cleaned or when it does take us all day to accomplish that one little task mm-hmm. um, because of whatever is holding us back. But I know that for me, those na- those narratives that I keep referencing can really strip me of my sense of self and strip me of my sense of my I don't know, like that, my confidence, (laughs) you know, Um, and they can really bog me down um, when I want to be focusing on feeling good about myself or focusing Mm. on my newborn daughter or, or whatever. Um, So these are just a couple tips for y'all. If you relate to any of this, um, because we all get overwhelmed. We all get, we all get stuck um, by things that shouldn't stick us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that uh, all of this stuff has nothing to do with who you are as a person and that there are multiple reasons why we might struggle to do the things that we want to do in our homes that are have nothing to do with our personal self-worth, right? Right, exactly. And that have everything to do with a lot of other stuff that may be impacting us or preventing us from doing those things that we want to be doing. So um if you are feeling overwhelmed, just know that like, first of all, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no Right. Like I think a lot of us are feeling overwhelmed. Um, and secondly, that like, uh, doesn't mean anything about you. And all you can do is just like something, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's all yeah. you can do. Literally time it. Say I'm going to set a timer and I'm going to fold my laundry for three minutes, three minutes. That's yep. how long a slam poem is from my <laughs> my old days in the spoken world world go spoken on youtube world <laughs> google or search for sierra demalder put on paper dolls or something <laughs> like that and fold laundry until it's done you're so cute <laughs> oh my god it's so nice to have a fan <laughs> sam blackwell um okay anyway y'all uh hope that means anything to you at all and if not cool (laughs) all right let's get into our letters (laughs) we're not always for everyone (laughs) yeah exactly all right our first letter comes from secret keeper whose pronouns are she her and who's writing from in between a rock and a hard place dear sierra and sam it's never in that order very true (laughs) 
I've been binging and listening to your podcast for about a year, and it's helped so much with me evolving as a person. And I appreciate both of you and Spencer for all that you do. Thank you all so much. On to the issue. I, 29 she, her, have been seeing a guy, Daniel, 29 he, him, for a couple of months, and we're both non-monogamous. I've recently gotten to know his other partner, Mallory, 21 she, her, who he's been with for about nine months, and we are becoming fast friends. I genuinely enjoy her company, and we hang out just us now and have a great time. However, she has maybe gotten a little too comfortable revealing her issues with her and Daniel's relationship to me. I realize I should have established boundaries on this right off the bat, but the things Mallory is saying Daniel has said to her are disturbing me. Mm. He's been short-tempered, rude, and downright mean at times to her. I even told Mallory that as her friend, not as Daniel's other partner, if I was her, I would have just broken up. She said she considered it after their most recent fight, which was apparently about me, but ultimately decided against it. This is genuinely bothering me that he's treating my new friend this way and also that he has this side to him. I'm surprised about who I'm getting involved with. He has never been like that to me at all. He's been nothing but caring, sweet, and communicative thus far. To be honest, even in this short time, he's been a better partner to me than Mm. almost everyone else I've ever dated in this time frame. We see each other about twice a week and talk every day, and this just sounds nothing like the person I've been getting to know. I want to talk to him about it, but I can't because I promised Mallory I wouldn't say anything to him about what she's told me. I don't know how to reconcile these discrepancies or even just get his side of the situation without betraying her trust. I'm wondering what I should do. Talk to Daniel anyway? Just tell Mallory to stop filling me in on their problems and leave it at that? Wait around for him to start treating me the way this way before addressing it? Or is this a red flag that I should just break up now? I guess my ultimate question is, is my partner's problems with his other partner my problem or not at all? Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys so much. Thanks for throwing that tongue twister in there. That was <laughs> a challenge to read. It's like you were you were trying to trick me into messing up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what she was trying to do. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the story I'm telling myself. <laughs> Okay. Uh, hi, my darling. Thank you so much for writing. Oh my God. Time out for a second. Somebody DM us a, a meme that was like, it was a tweet that was like, if you ever say, have said I, my love or my darling, please know that I've heard you say that in a Dracula voice or something like that. And she said, <laughs> at Sierra, or was it like, I hear this in Sierra's voice. It's true. So my, you do my say my darling. love. Oh no, that's not really a vet. What is a what is a Dracula voice? My no. My la, nope. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I want to suck your blood, my darling. My darling, there yeah. we go. It's, <laughs> it's like, sort of Italian. It's like so like Borat adjacent, but yes, it's like yes, not yes. not cute. I just want to apologize to all Italians and all vampires for that terrible, <laughs> terrible impersonation of you. I want to okay. offer my deep, deep. <laughs> Regrets to the vampire community for the thing that I just did. (laughs) Okay, back to you, my darling secret keeper. Um, Thanks so much for writing and for listening and for trusting us with this letter. Uh, Yeah, you are in a hard place. Um, You're in between a hard place and a rock, so to say. Mm -hmm. And uh, this this is a tricky question. I don't think we've ever gotten a question like this particular situation um mm-hmm. and i just want to like start by saying you're doing the best that you can and you are 
yeah, you're in a tricky position. Um, I have to admit, like, even in a monogamous relationship, if somebody came to me and said, oh, God, your partner said this to me, please don't say anything to them. I would be like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Willow, why were you such a dick to this person? You know, or I, I would like, that would be something that would confront the reality of my relationship with, with new information. And I would want to respond like this is your desire to be like, uh, Daniel, what's up? Or like, what, what is this is totally reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that this is something that you can talk to Mallory about and see if like, you know, explain how you're feeling and what, what's going on with you and be like, this is something that I want to talk with him about because I want to, um, understand him and why he's doing these things to you because I am also his partner. Right. And this is impacting me and my relationship with him as well. Um, I do think it's a little, um, it is a little unreasonable for Mallory to say like, don't tell him anything about this because you are all in a relationship together. Right. So it's like, it's really difficult to be in a position where you can't talk to the other person that you're in a relationship with about like, shit that got said about him or about right. what he does and how he behaves. Right. And, um, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if he treats you differently than he treats Mallory for a multiple different reasons, because of the fact that they've been in a relationship longer because of the fact that she's significantly younger than both of you. Um, like it makes sense to me that he could be really right. one way with you and really w a different way with her. Um, and it does seem a little bit unfair to me that, that you can't um, investigate with him this, this discrepancy in behavior. And I think it's reasonable for you to go to Mallory and, and, and explain this and ask for her permission to be able to at least talk to him about yeah. your experience with him. I totally agree. And um, just pulling out a word you said, like that it's unreasonable of Mallory to expect you to not talk to him about this. It might not. Be, I agree. Number one, but like it, you know, we're not saying that she isn't allowed to talk to people or confide in people. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, if I was in your position, letter writer, it's, this is a perfect example about how, we can do our best to like respect people's boundaries and to meet their needs and to, and to, I don't know, be a neutral party or whatever. But at, at, at a certain threshold, you, it becomes no longer sustainable for you to abide by their wishes. Like that's just a fact of life. Sometimes, sometimes we disappoint people or sometimes circumstances change and dynamics change and, or, and, or are challenged and need to be readdressed. So like, I think you could, I th just like Sam said, it's what is required now is for you to go to Mallory and say, listen, I'm sorry. I didn't set up a firmer boundary in the future in, in the past. I've really enjoyed our friendship. I really love being close with you, but because of some of the things you've said to me, it is now like permanently affected the, the way I am looking at my relationship. And I, I need, I'm no longer able to keep this between us. Um, honestly, that sounds, that's difficult because it's like, she asked you not to talk to him, but this is real life. This is, this is now affecting your life. It's not, 
you're not a neutral party, right? This is your right. partner, you know? And yep. I honestly, um, forgive me because I am historically monogamous and I'm not practiced in polyamorous relationships. So I don't know if there is a protocol to this, like if a polyamorous member of a community of the community would say that there's a different way to go about this. So just forgive me in advance. And I hope that some of our listeners are able to like, um, I don't know, provide provide more support for you perhaps on the just break up Facebook page, private page or whatnot. Um, right. But yeah, this see, this is now a fact, you know, when we, when we try to be good listeners um, and good support systems, it is from a different advantage point than this. This is half your life, half of half a list, a friendship. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, that big question of like, are my partner's problems my problems too? Like, I think to a certain extent, yes, especially the way that it's playing out, right? If they yes. were having their own issues over here, you know, and you were sort of separate from them and he was the only sort of go-between, like then it would be different in a way because like you wouldn't know about what was happening in that relationship. Um, but like the fact that you know and the fact that you're all connected makes it your problem. Um, and I do think that you have the the right to say like, yeah, this is my problem now too. So like, we need to figure out a way that we can, that I can have a conversation with him or we can sort of address some of this, right? Like, I don't want you interfering in their relationship because like, obviously it's clear to me and to you and apparently to Mallory that they should probably just break up. <laughs> but um, I do think Trademark. that like, right. I do think that your, your concerns about how he is treating her are real because they deeply affect your understanding of how he's going to treat you, right? Like what if you get to the nine month mark and now he's no longer sort of this kind supporting person, but is saying really mean things to you or being rude with you or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and recognizing the fact that like people's experiences of other people are really informed by their own experiences too, right? So that it's like, uh, difficult for you to even have a sort of deeper understanding of the ways in which this relationship is playing out between them because you're not in it either, right? Like right. you're you're not experiencing it. Um, you're experiencing it through Mallory's uh, lens of her own experience of it, which may be very similar to or very different from Daniel's. Um, yes. So it's just like a really shitty place to be in. And I think Sierra is right that like establishing some boundaries around like what's appropriate and not appropriate for you all to be talking about is incredibly reasonable and I think needed in this situation so that you're not being given this information from about this person from somebody who is um, also in your life. Yeah. And also just like remember everybody's humanity because like they're if we like particularly yours, um, you know, mm -hmm. we might set up like social guidelines, social rules to follow like, oh, that's their relationship. It can't impact mine or or how he treats her is a reflection of how we, of of our relationship. So I have to leave him, you know, like we want these hard and fast rules to like make sense of things, but you're also a human. And you know, the example I'm thinking of is that like, I could have the best relationship with someone and then have somebody tell me this 
terrible thing that they did. And the human part of me would be, would look at that person differently, would, would have to now take that new information and catalog it in somewhere in some place and in some, some way that made, made me feel okay or not. Okay. Um, it's, it's unreasonable to ask a human to not be affected by this, you know, Mm -hmm. and also it is your relationship. It is your lived experience that you are, that you can bank on, I think, of this person, you're not obligated to, I don't know, lecture him or punish him for his shitty behavior to Mallory, but you can be curious about it and you can hold him accountable to it in your interpersonal conversations, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that this is like a really great opportunity too for you to have a conversation with Daniel about like how you how you two manage conflict with each other as well, yeah. right? So like thinking about, I'm trying to think about like, I don't want you to go into this conversation being like, tell me what happened with Mallory and like why it happened. Because like, I don't think that that's a constructive and helpful place for your relationship with Daniel. But right. I do wonder if you can say to, or you can have a conversation with each other and say like, okay, so like we're in relationship with each other. Like we know that like conflict is going to be inevitable in that, com- in that. So like, what are some of the ways that you handle conflict when it comes up? Like, what are some things that I should know about like what your preference? references are um because i'm thinking about the situation and being like if he's being rude or being short he may just have like a short fuse and like and so mm-hmm. that's something that you may need to know or he may be super direct in how he communicates and that's something that you can know so that you can figure out how you want to navigate that space with him but i i want this conversation between you two to be proactive about your relationship and how you're going to sort of move forward rather than trying to hash out this relation, this other relationship that you are not actually involved in and that you don't know anything about, right? Because it's not your relationship. Right. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this is just like a hard position to be in. So like, I understand your confusion, your hesitation, Mm -hmm. but I'm confident that you can, I guess like that confusion and the, the discomfort of it isn't reason enough not to address this to both parties for sure all parties involved yeah so we hope that this helps we love you absolutely thank you so much for writing all right y'all know that sam and i record every single episode of just break up virtually so i literally see this beautiful person on zoom like multiple times a week and every time sam pops up into zoom i comment on their outfit and i swear like 99 percent of the time i'm like oh my god that outfit is so cute where did you get it sam says quince You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I 
love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. The next letter comes to us from Jake Fake Name, whose pronouns are he, him, who, are write, who is writing to us from Pee Pee Poo Poo City, Butt <laughs> District. <laughs> you just wrote that to like make me say it. I get it. Um, okay. Hi, Sierra and Sam. I am a new listener. I can tell because you wrote Sierra and Sam and not Sam and Sierra. (laughs) Just kidding. And have been binging episodes. I'm in love with the way you approach each of your letters with humor, compassion, and wisdom and knew that I wanted to write something to you on the off chance you'd answer. Even if not, your answers to other people are plenty for me to chew on. And I thank you for that. That's very kind. Y'all are so Mm -hmm. very kind and generous. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I am a cishet 27-year-old he-him pronouns married to a 26-year-old she-they pronouns. We were both raised in Mormonism, which is, if you're not aware, a high-demand fundamentalist Christian religion. Think on the level of like Jehovah's Witnesses or other similarly culty Christian sects. Sects. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Culty Christian sex is my favorite kind of sex. <laughs> Sam and I are 14 today, so enjoy that one and boobies. Uh-huh. Okay. We grew up with a lot of misogyny, homophobia, and racism, and we're unlearning all of this since denouncing and leaving Mormonism around two years ago. 
My problem is that we got married very young, and while we were still Mormon, in that religion, you were encouraged to get married basically as soon as humanly possible and then pump out babies. So we knew each other for maybe a year and a half when we got married, and since then have both completely changed almost every aspect of ourselves, religion and lack thereof, political beliefs, expectations about kids, family dynamics, literally everything. It's safe to say that while I love her, the marriage itself was a product of wanting to fulfill religious obligation. Something that has been a wedge between us since the beginning of since the beginning has been the use of porn. In Mormonism, porn is super taboo, and I have a lot of shame surrounding the use of it because I had to constantly, quote, confess using it to crusty old religious leader guys as a teenager or else feel extremely depressed and ashamed. It's caused me anguish and exacerbated mental health issues throughout. This continued into our marriage, and when we were still in this religion, it was all of that shame, in addition to my wife thinking it was cheating, and the shame came the shame that came from that. I began a habit of lying about it because every time I confessed to it, to her, it became an end of the world meltdown situation, which I understand because it was how she was taught to react. Fast forward to now, we are now out of the religion and I no longer view porn use as wrong. However, there's still a lot of real harm in that the porn industry itself causes, which I acknowledge and try to be more mindful about what I actually consume. She's been working on being okay with my porn use because she's had a lot of feelings of betrayal and other stuff about it from the religion to unpack. She several times has expressed that she wants me to tell her when I use it, and I have lied to her anyway on several occasions. This has led to feelings of distrust on her part, of course, and feelings of shame and withdrawal further on my part. The reason I write this is because the issue intersects with the other huge issue I'm having. As I said, we got married really young, relative to most people and she's the only person I've ever had sex with or has ever been in a relationship and or have ever been in a relationship with that has lasted more than three months. I'm grieving the loss of any chance for me to experiment sexually and grow into myself before committing to one person for the rest of my life. I've learned about non-monogamy and I'm not even sure if I'm a monogamous person at this point, but I'm married in a strictly monogamous relationship and will never get to explore any of that without losing my wife. This leads me to sometimes use porn as a way to fantasize about what ifs or whatever, you know, ways to experiment sexually without me actually doing anything. But she wants me to not look at porn or if she is okay with it to always tell her about it. And this is leading me to feel lots of resentment because I'm like, quote, I have never got to experience any sexual variety or adventure in my life. And you're not even letting me pretend to do it and have this one thing to myself without controlling it. This brings a lot of conflict in our relationship. And I feel like it's my fault because I should just suck it up and be happy with the hand that was dealt with me rather than be sad that I never got to experiment or find myself or whatever. I don't know if I can continue this forever because these feelings of regret and resentment are eating at me and I feel like my marriage and my life are all decided for me by other people and I'm just stuck with it. Do you have any advice for someone who married way too quickly in their first relationship who still loves their partner but regrets not doing more beforehand and resents not feeling free to explore what I actually want? I feel like an asshole typing this, but part of that might be leftover religious shame. So please help me understand if I'm just an ungrateful prick. I really don't know where to go from here. 
Oh, my mm. darling Jake fake name. I forgive you for making me say pee-pee poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. And um, you're not an asshole. You were dealt a hand, to use your phrase, That was that is very challenging and very controlling and very tangled. It's going to take you a long time to untangle this. That's mm -hmm. what indoctrinated ideals do to us, especially harmful ones, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's not enough that it, people not raised in cult-like religions, as you described it, are given their own indoctrination about ways to think about themselves, way to talk to themselves, ways that yep. they should show up in relationships or not show up, ways that they should receive love. And, and that's hard as a base level. It's hard to be a human in relationships at a base level. And you have this added experience of trying to unpack all of these lies that you were told about yourself and your body and your love and your sexuality. Um, and so I just want to say, I love you. And I, I so deeply appreciate your vulnerability showing up in this letter um, and your thoughtfulness in trying to unpack this before like it explodes or, or erodes or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I want to also create space for your wife in this too. Yeah. Um, and just a, a gentle reminder to you and also to me and Sierra as we are sort of talking about this letter too, that she has also experienced this, the same or similar indoctrination that you have, right? Yeah. And sort of this, this feeling that you're having of this resentment towards her to say like, wow, you're not even letting me do this thing. You're not letting me experiment. And I just want to remind you in the same, while seeing your, your experience of that, that she also didn't have the opportunity to experiment, right? That she also yeah. is grappling with what does it mean to be in a sexual relationship that isn't confined by the realities of um, of the indoctr indoctrination or the realities of the religion that we're part of. Um, and so she's struggling too with how to find the edges and boundaries of that given the fact that leaving this church sort of took all those edges and boundaries and was mm. like, Loop, mm. like just like sucked them all up. Uh, because if that's the way that you all were sort of defining the, the parameters around which you operated and now that's gone, you have to find different parameters. And the fact that you all entered into this marriage with an agreement around those religious restrictions and now they're gone means that it's really incredibly possible that yeah. the boundaries that you are going to find in your own experience of the world and through your own sort of morality and understanding of what you want and how you want to move through the the love that you're offering each other might look really, really different, right? Wow. And that's painful to say out loud, but I think it's important to, to, to recognize, one, so that you can sort of see that that this isn't necessarily your wife being an asshole to you, but this is sort of you all processing through this huge fundamental change to you as people yes. and to you as a partnership. And that it's okay if it's not working because everything has changed about how this relationship yes. is functioning, right? Yes. Like everything about it. Like we talk about learning and growing with each other in relationship a lot. And I love 
Spencer, you and Spencer talked about this on a Patreon episode once where you talked about like, he also found his wife young. They like married at a relatively young age and they were both lucky that they sort of grew together maybe at different paces and like maybe in different directions, but in ways that like, (laughs) that was a a read Spencer, (laughs) (laughs) but like they were able to support each other in that and that they were lucky to find that. But it's, it is a different thing to say, like, not only do you have to grow together, but also we're going to wipe out your whole understanding of like how the world operates. Yeah. And then, and now that that's gone, which was sort of the defining feature of your relationship. Now you got to figure out how to be together again. And, and that's add so sexuality. Hard. <laughs> are you fucking yeah. kidding me? <laughs> For sure. Sexuality is, are, is, is so complicated and is a lifelong journey right? We assume that it's just like so cemented, like once you're, once you come out as whatever you are, um, that, that, that is your journey for life instead of like this nebulous ongoing discovery and exploration, you know, add sexuality to this. And that feels like an impossible equation for the both of you. And I say that not because, um, this is a unsolvable problem, but but just to give you both you and your wife some grace and to say neither of you are failing right now. You're just you're being asked to do a lot Mm. really young, like you said, really young. I think the issue here is that, like, like I said, those sort of boundaries have been erased. They've been taken away because they were they were defined and understood through your religious process or through your religious understanding of the world. Um, and what's really tricky here is that it's like, I don't think it's unreasonable for you to ask for privacy and how you like understand your sexuality and how you take care of your needs and how, you know, right. Like thinking about masturbation as being like sex with yourself. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable for you to like, want to keep that private and say like, this is what I do and, or not to have to tell people like, this is what I do and how I do it. And I don't think it's unreasonable for her to say like, I'm deeply uncomfortable with porn and I don't want it in the house, right? Like there are, and there are different relationships where those things could be established. Um, And the issue here is that like, you need to figure out how that's going to work between you two. Um, And it sounds like those understandings of the world in this moment are just not in alignment and they are, they are not working out for either of you. Um, and that's neither of your faults, right? Like, again, like, I know that this resentment is really challenging because it feels like your your wife is like trying to take something away from you. Um, yes. But the issue here is that like the relationship itself has changed fundamentally and 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 the resentment towards your wife, I would say, is like a little unfair because she is also just trying to figure out what these new boundaries and edges are and and that can be really complicated and that can be really emotionally fraught and triggering. Uh, and so it's just a, it's just a pickle as Sierra would say. <laughs> and I actually think the resentment, it's not that it's like unfair. I think that it's reasonable because that's what our hurt selves do. You know, like we, sure. we have those feelings of like, ugh. I I don't know those feelings that are trying to like stand up for us or protect us, or I don't know what the fuck they're trying to do. But I, most importantly, I want you to take away that the resentment is actually going to, could be very harmful to both you and your spouse in this 
relationship in the long term. This the resentment might be trying to make you stand up for yourself or or hold your wife accountable or or even express your need. It might be helping you express your needs. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, resentment is like a pressure cooker, right? And if you even if you want to exit this relationship, you know, even if you're like I'm done, then you Resentment can make you do that in ways that are more painful and scarring sure. than not. So sure. I don't want you to feel bad about feeling resentful, but I want you to address it as as much, put as much energy towards that resentment as you can to be like, well, what am I feeling this way? How am I, how am I taking my feelings out on my wife instead of right. being direct and honest with myself about my needs? Are you resenting her for not letting you look at porn? Or do you not want to be in this relationship anymore? Are you resenting her for changing, but not changing into the person you are? Or, um, or I don't know. I, I lost my, (laughs) I lost my trail of thought, but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that that's great. And I, I think that it really is about like, did I say trail of thought? Isn't it train of thought? thought. Yeah. You said it. And (sighs) it it works. It works. Yeah. Um, (laughs) no, I think that, I think that the resentment that you're feeling towards your wife, um, is like Sarah said, understandable. And I think that a lot of the stuff that you're dealing with is, is beyond just your wife, right? Like you keep talking about how like you've been dealt this hand and that I, I have to deal with it or like, you know, I feel like I should figure out how to be in this relationship or like I am in this marriage that everyone else chose for me. Um, and I also want to sort of recognize in the fact that like your wife is also in a relationship that people chose for her yes. based on the way that the, that your that Mormonism can function. Right. And so how do you channel some of that frustration instead of at your wife into the situation itself? Right. Like, and compassion for yourself and for your wife and for your wife. How can you be compassionate to both of you? Maybe the compassionate choice is breaking up. Maybe the compassionate choice is working really hard to reframe those boundaries from scratch. Like Sam Mm -hmm. said, because they were evaporated. Right. And, maybe those new boundaries compassionately allow for privacy or compassionately allow for experimentation or compassionately allow for therapy, you know, like this, Mm -hmm. this is a lot of stuff that you're unpacking. And I think it's like Sam said, it's really easy to project that frustration or all those really hard emotions onto your wife. Who's also going through this at the same time. Absolutely. And these questions that you can ask yourself around, like some of the things that you say in here of like, I feel like I should be doing this. Yeah. Well, where is that coming from? Like, who's telling yeah. you that? Uh, is it you? Because guess what? You get to decide, <laughs> you know, like yeah. who's who's asking you for that? Because I'm saying to you, like, I don't expect you to just sit there and deal with the hand you've been dealt. Right. Totally. Like, your relationship has fundamentally changed. And so if you decide and you look at that and say like, this isn't working for me anymore, I can totally understand that. I can also totally totally understand if your wife is feeling the same way, because again, your whole relationship has changed. And I think recognizing that and looking at that is going to be more helpful for you to figure out 
whether or not this relationship is something worth keeping than feeling resentful that you didn't get to experiment, right? Because like, let me tell you, you can get out of this relationship and experimentation may still not be available to you, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's wild out there. It like, is it's... <laughs> wild out there. But or let me let me jump on that. Like I, I pulled out the word experiment too, because I want to reframe this all as like, we are all experimenting. And part of what you did is an experiment too. like getting Mm. married really young and only having one sexual apartment, apartment, sexual (laughs) apartment. (laughs) I've got multiple sexual apartments. (laughs) Got one in every area code. (laughs) sexual partner. That's an experiment too. And yeah. and what we do when in relationship with one another is we try. We try to to see what we like. We experiment as you say. Um I think that there's such a connotation with like experimenting because you're like there's a temporariness to it and you're going to like get it all together and be less experimented later in life. I don't think that's true whatsoever. And it like sort of devalues, um, I don't know, good relationships that don't last. And I also want to reframe finding yourself. You were dealt a really hard hand, but like Sam said, you're not cemented in this hand. This finding of yourself is going to go on for a long time, right? I cannot tell you how surprised I am by how much self-discovery I've done in the first 30 days of being 36, you know, like (laughs) it just doesn't, it doesn't change. It doesn't stop. It's endless. And you were dealt a really hard hand. It's true. You were given these cemented beliefs. um, And now we have to figure out who you are without them. I, I try not to do this all the time, even though we always talk about therapy, and we always suggest it, but I try not to lean on that, but I would just heavily, heavily, heavily suggest in this circumstance, especially to maybe seek out a professional um, counselor, therapist, relationship therapist, sex mm-hmm. therapist, somebody that will help you unpack all of this and maybe give you some extra language or tips about how to Talk about what happened to you because it's traumatic, right? It's it's unpacking of this, of these ideolo- ideologies, like Sam said, that defined you for so long. Um, and maybe your wife and you could do this together and sort of figure out what is the kindest, most compassionate way that you can sort of rebuild this relationship. Mm. That rebuilding might not be together, but you can still do it compassionately. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jake. Want to say thank you for writing to us, for trusting us with this this pickle that you are currently in. Uh, I hope that what you hear from us is compassion for the situation that you're in, compassion for your wife in the situation that that you're both in, and to recognize that you have uh, a lot of options available to you in this moment. And it might feel like you're sort of backed into a corner. Um, But Sierra and I want to invite you to come out and see what are some of the possibilities that are available to you in this moment. That's right. And Jake, this shame, it's not serving you anymore. It's not going to protect you anymore. I want you to, I want to give you permission to set it down if you can and see who you are without it. Who you are without that shame is a beautiful, loving person who deserves to have great sex, a great life, and who also deserves um, 
to be gentle with themselves and their loved ones. We believe in you. Thanks for writing. We love you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. All right. Our third letter comes from Nessie, whose pronouns are she, her, and who's writing from Sad City. I uh, just want to give a content warning that there is talk of uh, overdosing and the death of a spouse in this letter. Sam and Sierra, I truly love this podcast and listen often. You two hold so much grace and compassion for all of us JBU listeners, and I am very grateful for both of you. I have learned a lot of self-love and self-compassion from listening to you. Thank you for the prompted head and heart work. My life feels like a curse. I have tried so hard to figure out why my life seems to be destined for anguish, what I did to deserve this, but I have no answers. I grew up in an, emo- in an emotionally and mentally abusive home. My mom has unregulated narcissistic personality disorder as well as depression and refuses any self-awareness or accountability. I don't want this to reinforce the negative stigma of this disorder because there are many people with it who have learned to manage it and be healthy individuals, but that was not the case for my mom. She constantly criticized my acne, my weight, my grades, my extracurriculars, my friends, everything. She controlled my entire life. She would gaslight me, say horrible things to me, and then pretend like everything was fine. She would get jealous of my friend's parents when I would hang out at their house. Mm -hmm. In one of her worst depressive episodes, she told me she wanted to kill herself so that she wouldn't have to be my mom anymore. I complied with her every demand. I tried so hard in school and sports to try and appease her and nothing was ever good enough for her. After I graduated high school, I started dating this amazing guy named Sam. He was my outlet. I would call him crying and tell him all of the awful things that she would say or do. She would send him messages to try and scare him off. He saw the abuse and helped me to see it too. I started packing my things when I turned 18 and hiding all of my packed bags in the corner behind my dresser with the intention of moving in with one of my best friends and her family to escape my mom. I wrote my parents a letter, left it on the counter and moved out. I only had the courage to do that because of Sam. I moved in with my best friend as planned. Long story short, my best friend deeply betrayed my trust and I had to move out of that situation. I had nowhere else to go, so unless I wanted to live out of my car, my other option was to marry Sam right away. His dad was the bishop of our church, so we were not allowed to live together unless we were married, despite Mm. only dating for six months. Our marriage was tumultuous and chaotic, to say the least. I was dealing with my leaving my entire life behind, my family, my pets, most of my belongings, my best friend. I had lost everything to try and protect my own well-being. I felt so lost and alone. I didn't know who the hell I was without my mom controlling every aspect of my life. 
As soon as we got married, Sam got hugely into video games, which he never played when we were dating. He became addicted to them. He would wake up early to play them before work and then hop on immediately after work and play until around 2 a.m. He played all day, every day during the weekends. I really needed him and he wasn't there for me. I was also incredibly mentally unhealthy. I was struggling with depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, thoughts, etc. We had a lot of ups and downs, as all marriages do, but being 18 and 22 made it extra, extra challenging. I had no support system except for Sam, no friends, no family, no one. Sam needed to talk out issues immediately, even if that meant staying up till 4 a.m. or making me miss my college classes and tests. When I would bring up my problem with his video game playing, he would throw his controllers and shatter them, or he would break all of his old games to scare me and make me feel guilty. I was extremely jealous and insecure. I would often go through his phone. We started to get better and work on making our relationship healthier, or so I thought. Sam had struggled with substance abuse before we started dating. He had started using again, and I didn't know. Two and a half years into our marriage, when I was 20 and he was 24, he passed away from a drug overdose. Mm. He asked me to pick him up from a friend's house on a Friday night at 2 a.m. I always told him to call me if there were, if he was ever too drunk to drive, and I would happily come get him. When I picked him up, he told me that he only had a few shots, but he was obviously more intoxicated than a few shots would make him. We got home, and I asked him if he had taken anything with his friends, uh, and he said he told me no. I told him that I knew he was lying, but I couldn't force him to tell me. I told him I loved him and went to bed. He wanted to stay up and play video games, so he was on the living room couch. When I woke up, he wasn't next to me. I walked into the living room and found him unresponsive on the couch. I tried to wake him up and couldn't. I was pissed that he had lied to me and that he decided to fuck around with some drug when he knows he's prone to addiction and had already done this to me once before. A few months prior, I woke up to find him unresponsive on the couch. I was able to wake him after a few hours and he told me that he had taken some Xanax. We had a conversation about how awful an experience that was for me and that he wouldn't do it again. I ran a couple errands and when I came back, it was around 1 p.m. and he was still unresponsive. I was starting to get worried and decided to call 911. He was in the hospital for three weeks, suffered a traumatic brain injury, a heart attack, major kidney issues, etc. I had to make the decision at 20 years old to take my husband's feeding tubes mm. out. I had to sign the do not resuscitate forms before I could even legally drink. I felt and still feel so much guilt. If I had just taken him to the hospital sooner to that day, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad. If only I hadn't been so mad at him, I could have actually have been a good wife and taken care of him. What if, what if, what if? It is so fucking hard. Almost now, even now, almost three years after his death, I cry for him and talk about him constantly. It is just such a hard truth to live with. It is so hard to live with this guilt that I carry. Part of me knows it isn't my fault. He made his choices and he lied to me about it. I didn't know what was in his system. And if I had, I would have reacted differently. But I did the best I could with the knowledge that I had. But on the other hand, I truly feel like it is all my fault. He did tell me once that I make him miserable every day of his life. Maybe that really was his truth, and that's why he turned back to drugs. Again, I was alone, no family, no friends, and I had no support system to hold me while I grieved. I guess my question is, how do we live with these hard truths? How are we supposed to go on with life carrying these heavy, heavy things? I have a tendency to believe that I am to blame for all of the hurt the people around me face. I feel responsible for my mom's suffering. I feel responsible for Sam's suffering and his death. It seems I am the common denominator in so much hurt. I have worked so hard to get to a better place through therapy, but I still struggle with this idea. 
I am so, so grateful for any musings and words of wisdom. I am also grateful if all you do is read this. I know it's a long one. Thank you, Nessie. Oh, Nessie, thank you so much for writing and for trusting us with this letter. Um, that is a deeply painful story. And it's not a story, it's your lived experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to hold you and tell you that I love you and mm-hmm. that you're carrying so much. I see how heavy it is, how exhausting it must feel to constantly have to answer to the questions in your head and to the training that you were taught as a child that you are responsible for other people's wellness. Um, I know how tiring that is. And I can only imagine after all of this trauma of you just trying to save yourself, just trying to exist, to be good, to, to be loved, to have this be the outcome. Um, I can only imagine how incredibly exhausting it is to work through this on a daily basis. So I just want to say, I love you. And I see that labor and I see how tired you must be. Um, And I also just want to say you're, you are incredibly brave to even be examining these things. Um, I don't think that we give ourselves enough credit when we're struggling. The first thing we say is I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm failing. Um, and not, I am being so resilient right now. I'm still enduring this, you know, I'm working so hard with all of these things on my shoulders right now. We don't often see how hard we're working in times of struggle because we just see how we, we just see what we perceive as failure instead of, instead of labor, instead of exhaustion, you know, you're very brave and I wish you didn't have to be so fucking brave. I Mm. wish this wasn't the way it was. I also want to say that I believe you, right? Mm. I believe this experience happened to you. I believe that your mom was emotionally abusive. I believe that um, your experience with Sam's video game addiction was really challenging. I believe you that, that finding... Uh, his unresponsive body and going through the process of having to take him off life support was deeply awful. And I believe you that you feel like you are responsible for everyone else. And I believe you that you know that that's not true. I believe all of those things. Um, And I know that from my own experience with um, dealing with trauma, that often how I feel is that people just don't get it or that they don't believe me or that it's somehow sort of separating me from other people. Um, And I want to say I'll never get it because our experiences are so different and I don't know what it's like to do the things that you had to do. But I do want to say that I believe a hundred percent your experience of it. Right. And I trust that you know what happened and that all of the things that you're describing are happening to you in this moment as well. So I hope that you hear that and that you recognize that even though this experience may be something that the two of us can never share together because it didn't happen to me, it only happened to you, 
that I am seeing you in that experience and that I am trying to get close to you, right? Trying mm. to, to sort of hold you in that experience because I want you to know that it's not making us separate. It's not separating you from me. It is something that that Sierra and I can hold with you, right? It's mm. something that we can say, yeah, absolutely. All of those things are 100% true. And your experiences in this are absolutely real. And we see them with you. That is beautiful. Um, Nessie, I want to also say... Uh, a couple other direct things that you may know or have been told before, but I would be remiss if I didn't say it out loud. I have compassion for your mom as I have compassion for all human beings. Mm -hmm. And I also want to directly say she failed you. Your mother failed you. And I want you to draw the line between the way your mother taught you to be responsible for her wellness to now, to today, to the belief that you keep mulling over, the questions you keep mulling over of whether or not you could have done something better to prevent this. Um, this, the way that you're speaking to yourself is a language that was given to you. You didn't choose this. Um, you didn't cho choose any of this other than trying to survive, right? We in our worst of times are only doing the best that we can with the knowledge and experience and the choices that we have at that moment, right? And like you said, you went from choice to choice as the to the best that you could. Um, and I also want to say one of your questions is like, how do we deal with these hard truths? Um, mm. And I love that question because I love the humanity in it and the simplicity of like, how do we deal with this? Because sometimes it, it feels impossible. How, what words could I possibly say to tell you how to deal with this? You know? Yeah. But I want to pull out one word as like a linguist, as a writer and say hard truths. I want to make sure you're categorizing these things correctly. Um, the hard truth is not, there are things that you could have done differently. The hard mm -hmm. truth is, you know, your boyfriend said that thing to you because he was in pain. He, your boyfriend or your husband said that hurtful thing to him because he didn't have the tools to express his pain in a more compassionate, curious and constructive way. That's a hard truth. The hard truth is, he will never be able to fulfill that, right? That's the hard truth. The hard truth is not there's something you could have done differently to save him, right? The hard truth is not if you were a different daughter, your mother would love you differently. The hard truth is your mother is a difficult person to love. Your mother mm -hmm. cruelly expected you to, to be the, the orchestrator of all her happiness. Your mm -hmm. mother, the hard truth is your mother set impossible standards in your heart for you to be enough. But I want to tell you, you are enough. Despite the narrative in your head right now from a hundred different directions telling that you, you that you are not. Um, you're not broken for being hurt by somebody who was trying to hurt you. You're not broken for being able, unable to fix someone's addiction you're not broken for being 
dragged by an incredibly hard life experience, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All of that, I think contextualizing some of those hard truths is important because your brain is trying to tell you things about how to protect yourself that may feel really true that that aren't, right? So that idea that like you're responsible for everyone's happiness uh, may feel really true. And I, I, I see that and I believe that that is true for you. And I want to say that like that is your your head and your heart and your body trying to protect you from mm -hmm. the bad things that have happened, right? Because your mom created for you a through line to say, if you don't make me and everyone else happy, I'm going to do bad things, mm. right? And so like, of course, of course you believe that, that that is true because from your earliest years, you've been taught that that's your job. And there are examples which you list here where that has played out. And that's only one element of the yes. story, right? Yes. That's the, the, the story you've been told over and over again, saying this is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But it's not. There's so much more that is involved in that story that has little to do with the things that you were doing or the fact that you were required to, to make people happy. And there's a lot in this letter that I deeply resonate with. Um, you know, my dad uh, committed suicide two years ago. He was really awful to uh, me and my family. It was a very sort of traumatic time. And then he killed himself. And then I was the one that found his body. Um, and I will say that for two years, I didn't even know how to process the trauma of that. And now I'm embarking on this new uh, therapy. It's called cognitive perception therapy or cognitive processing therapy designed for folks who have experienced PTSD. And when I started doing it, I was like, I'm two years out from this event. Why the hell would I be doing PTSD therapy at this point? Right. Like I should be over that. Um, and it has been immensely helpful for me. To, to unpack some of the lies that that trauma is telling me about my experience of it, the fact that I was the one that caused it, the fact that I was the one who should have done something different to prevent it and helped me re has, is helping me, right? It hasn't helped me yet. I'm still, I'm still working on it, but is helping me reframe some of those things for me and to be able to zoom out on some of those lies that I'm believing to instead say like, there were things that I could have done differently and the outcome could have been 100% the same because I am just one factor in what happened here, right? And, or this idea of uh, like you, you talk about in the letter of like, if I had just taken him to the hospital earlier, things could have gone differently. And asking yourself those questions of what's the evidence that supports that? Says who? What are other things mm. that could have happened, right? Like, again, sort of taking out this, mm. this narrative that our trauma has created for us about what we should have done or how we could have prevented this so that we, it'll never happen again. And recognizing that like the, the answer to those questions is so much more complicated than just, I should have done something different or I did the thing to cause this, which in itself is such a comforting belief in a strange, weird way, oh because God, it means yes. that we have control. It means that we can prevent it That's from it. happening again. If I can love my next partner differently, he won't die in this way. And that's comforting for sure. But what's more comforting is to, to, to sort of take that step back, or at least for me, is has been to take that step back and realize that like, it's all outside, so much of it, almost all of it is outside of my control. And 
I didn't do anything to cause this. I literally did nothing to cause this. And it's so weird for me to say that out loud because if you had talked to me six months ago, I would have given you a list of things that I should have or could have done differently to Mm. prevent this from happening to me. But I am getting closer to believing some of that stuff because of this this therapy that I've been uh, working on. So I know you have a therapist. I know that you've been working in therapist or with a therapist, um, but would encourage you to, to ask about or think about cognitive processing therapy because it's been it's been immensely helpful for me in asking finding different answers to some of the the questions that you're asking Mm. in this letter i love that sam thank you so much for sharing that the last thing i want to touch on is compassion for yourself tenderness for yourself in the in other shows i have talked about this but i think it's probably been the most powerful tool for me in in forgiving myself or letting go of shame i want you nessie to to think about all the letters you hear on our show and all the other lived experiences that you hear our letter writers write in about and i want you to sit in and feel the compassion that you give to those those people when somebody else writes in and says i had this terrible lived experience and I feel like it's my fault. Do you automatically think it's that person's fault? What sort of what sort of understanding and gentleness do you extend to strangers that you are withholding from yourself? Mm-hmm. I know I've said this before on the show, but I always think about what if a child did this? What if a stranger did this? How would I feel about this situ- situation if I no longer saw it through the lens of the insane expectations I hold on myself and myself alone. You were a child when you learned how to accept love from your mother. And you were a child when you got married. And I don't mean that in any disparaging way to to teenagers or to, to younger people. And I'm sorry if it comes off that way, but think about all of the lessons we learned through living and being in relationships, you were doing the best that you could at the time. And I want you to, the next time you have one of those intrusive thoughts, like, you know, I could have something done something differently or X, Y, Z is my fault. I want you to think of the young girl that you were and picture it like a stranger, picture it, picture me, right? Picture Sam and I, would you ever tell either of us that something that like what you went through was our fault. Um, We are not very well versed in giving ourselves compassion, but we are capable of giving it to strangers and other people in our lives so much easier. Um, So picture yourself as a child, picture yourself as someone that deserves the gentleness and tenderness and care that you give to others. You write that you've tried so hard to figure out why your life feels destined for anguish um, or what you did to deserve this. And that and that's so painful to read. It's so relatable. I understand that quest that seeking for an answer or seeking for what you could do differently to prevent this. Or like Sam said, this comfort of like, well, I deserve this. This is my destiny. This Mm -hmm. is, this makes sense, right? But I promise you, there is not some tally, right? There's not some correlation between the horrible things that happen to us and our deservedness. 
if it if it would, then the the world would make a ton more sense, right? And Mark fucking Zuckerberg would not be so fucking rich. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. again, like Sam said, look for the proof. Is is there proof out there that good things happen to good people? Because all I see is the co contrary, that terrible things happen to good people all the time. And not only that, terrible, impossible, unfathomable things happen to people who, who don't have the tools to respond to them in any other way than the way that they did. We are mm -hmm. often put in situations in which we are asked to deal with something that we have unqualified tools for right and we just we do our best and we make it through and and then we somehow think that that unqualification is our fault i'm getting a little spirally here but i just i want you to picture yourself as a baby as as somebody who deserves love and tenderness and care and compassion and understanding as somebody who who deserves gentleness deserved something different than this and and to believe me when i say this is not your fault mm. so nessie uh, at the very least i hope that you feel the love that sierra and i have for you um and that we appreciate and understand uh, how you're feeling um, and that we want you to know that the stories that you're telling yourself about your um, the stories that you're telling yourself about the the fact that you deserved this or the fact that you caused this or the fact that you should have presented it or prevented it um, are stories that the the two of us know not to be true um, and that we recognize how hard it can be to see that when, when you're in it, when it's the only thing that has been reinforced for you over and over again. Um, and our invitation is to, um, is to find ways, how, whatever it looks like for you and whatever way is helpful to begin to see if there are other alternatives out there for you, other ways of believing uh, about yourself and about the the really awful and uh, horrible things that you've been through in your life. We love you so much. Thank you so much for writing. All right, everyone, this brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. Uh, this is when we try and set you up with something that we think you're really going to like. And this week we want to send you home with. Okay. So I I'm sure this has been out, oh, yep, since 2020. <laughs> um, my bad. But this is a documentary series on Netflix called Babies. And it's about babies. And mm. this is, I'm not recommending this nor watching it because I have a baby right now, although that is like very <laughs> aligned. Um, my wife and I are watching this uh, Netflix series and it's basically about the science that reveals how infants discover life in their first year and how they process um, mm. faces and information and newness. And it is like groundbreaking science, scientific research that they haven't been able to do like ever because babies are hard to study, like their brains. <laughs> and sure. um, the discoveries are 
like just straight up fascinating. So it's cool for us to watch because we have this two, three, almost three month baby. Um, but also I can't help but think when I watch it about us, about you and I and our listeners and the insane pressure we put on ourselves to be um, perfect and to be capable at all times when in reality, like we are all figuring that out, as we always say, we are all um, beautifully flawed and imperfect. And when I watched this documentary about like the awe and the wonder that we experience, not just as babies, but watching babies discover, discover things and learn and, and remembering that we were all that once that we were all new and um like we don't expect babies to have it all fucking figured out is what i'm trying to say like mm -hmm. we extend so much compassion and understanding and gentleness to babies which is sort of what i was referencing in the last letter and we deserve that all the time we are we are babies all the time <laughs> is essentially what I I'm love it. I love just it. Just go to my grave saying, um, basically you are the same person you were when you were born. And um, we, we deserve the same awe and gentleness that we give babies. Okay. Spiraling a little bit because I need to eat lunch and <laughs> my hunger is taking over. But um, uh -huh. anyway, uh, the, the show is fascinating. The science is fascinating. The fact that we are humans that are, exist, that grow up and learn how to hate ourselves is fucking fascinating. Um, I love watching the show and just, just thinking about the path of all of us here on Just Break Up. Anyway, it's called Babies. It's on Netflix. You can watch it now. There are two seasons out. I love it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to follow, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you will get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, editing, producing, all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his newest podcast, Finding Quantum Quest, and his music under Big Cats on Spotify. And remember, despite what we've been taught, what we were told by folks who didn't know how to love us well, we do not deserve the bad things that happen to us. Even if we hurt people, even if we make mistakes, even if we are inherently flawed as all humans are, we don't deserve the hard and terrible things that happen to us in life. And there is rarely anything we can do to actually prevent them. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>